0: Welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, recovery, addiction, uh, and dumb shit. I am Dave. I'm Chris. You felt like you had to add
1: recovery in the beginning there, huh? I've been doing that. You haven't noticed. Yeah, but you don't usually put it first. Did I say recovery first? Yeah. Okay. You might have said drugs, recovery. I said drugs first. Yeah, but, I mean, it was it's moving up in the rankings. Drugs, recovery, addiction, I said? Yeah. I think you do that considering the guests we're about to call. Welcome to Dopey, um, the podcast about...
0: Meditation (laughs) Mindfulness uh, Steadiness uh, Tattoos Smoking cigarettes uh,
1: Dharma punks Southern California Surf rock Alright, it's time, let's call him Alright, I'm going to introduce our guest once he's on the line Because I'm probably going to Why don't you introduce him before you call? Because I want to give him a chance to correct my mistakes No, but why don't you say, tell the audience who you're calling Um, We're calling uh, Noah Levine and who's Noah Levine, Chris? He uh, is an author of several books, and um, I'm going to call him right now because I'm going to reiterate all of it with him on the line. His biggest book was called Dharma
0: Punks, a memoir, and Against the Stream. And uh, he's this big-time recovery <coughs> meditation all right, guy.
1: Shut up. Chris is really nervous. Just so you know, no. he thought his name was. <laughs> per- hey, Noah. What's up, dude? It's Chris and Dave.
2: Chris
1: and Dave, what's happening? No Levine, how you doing, bud?
2: Doing
1: good. So, uh, I was just in the process of introducing you. I'm going to reiterate it right now on the air because I'm probably going to screw it up and you can fix all my mistakes. Perfect. So, uh, Noah Levine is uh, probably most famous for his inaugural book, which was Dharma Punks, um, and he has published four books... Um, which is uh, after Darren he came out with um, "Against the Stream," "Heart of the Revolution," and "Refuge Recovery." Um, is that right? That's right. And
2: although uh, my, I, I like my, na- my name to be pronounced Levine,
1: not Levine, but it doesn't holy really
0: shit! No, <laughs> no Levine, no Levine. Listen to this. So you're not Jewish then? Uh,
2: yeah, I am Jewish, but uh, my my folks from Boston pronounce Levine.
0: What kind of Jewish person says Levine? <laughs> I never oh, heard of that. I mean, I'm Jewish. Jewish, just so you know. And, and I grew up in New York City.
2: And, and the anti-Semitic Jews, you know, they switch over to Levine.
0: Yeah, it's a self-hating Jew thing is Levine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, you got to tell him what we just did.
0: Well, okay. So Chris is like, no Levine, no Levine. I was like, dude, it's Noah Levine. And then he, he Googled uh, where you were introduced. What, what's it was what's US, cool? It
1: was at USC or something.
0: And they call you Noah Levine.
1: Yeah,
2: no, everybody
0: does. I just thought I'd fuck with you guys. Uh, That's good. Thank Uh, you very much. um, All right, so I'm going to say... Let him laugh. This is nice. He's having a nice laughing moment. It's good to have a... right. You are the most... We've had... Now you're the third celebrity guest, and you're by far the most credible. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah. That's me clapping. And Chris hitting the table. Whatever,
2: whatever that says about your podcast, that's fine. I'm down. It doesn't
0: <laughs> say much. <laughs> um, so I know of you because uh, around uh, the rooms in New York, all of the cool kids go to Dharma Punks. Yeah. yeah. Does ba- that m- on Bowery on uh, Tuesday night? Yeah, and in Brooklyn. Yeah,
2: yeah I, think, I think there's actually Dharma Punks in New York like almost every night of the week now.
0: How does it make you feel? It,
2: start, it started with Tuesdays and Thursdays, and now there's, you know, also Wednesdays and Sundays and Fridays, and there's groups almost every night now.
0: Does it make you feel big and powerful?
2: <laughs> it does. <laughs> I, I love that my reach is coast to coast, <laughs> and that I don't even have to be there. I can just like sit home with my children. In California, and uh, everybody else does the the heart meditation work.
0: Yeah, and the checks just come rolling in, right? It's awesome. Oh,
2: I wish. I, I i wish if I was a little bit of a better, you know, if I was smarter, I wanted to say a better Jew, but that's anti Semitic. If, I, if a, I was just more intelligent, uh, I would have set this whole thing up as like some kind of cool pyramid scheme. <laughs> the checks have rolled in. But in, instead, I just gave it all away forever.
1: That's <laughs> awesome. You got those spiritual dollars, man.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm rich in karma.
0: <laughs> I went to the supermarket and I just spent sixty spiritual dollars on groceries. <laughs> <laughs> um, how how um how did it start, Noah? What was the beginning of this whole thing? Tell us.
2: Oh God! Tremendous amounts of suffering. You know, I was born. I, I feel really like I was born into this perfect setup of extreme suffering and neglect and trauma and addiction, but also to a family who were spiritually minded and practicing meditation. And, you know, so I, I had the, the perfect suffering and then also solution right there in my own family. Right. And so, uh, you know, my dad is a wonderful teacher and meditator. And so I, I grew up around people practicing what we call the Dharma spiritual Eastern, you know, Hindu, Buddhist practices. But, uh, you know, I was a full-blown drug addict by the time I was a, you know, teenager. And, um, you know, so I just got my ass kicked real real fast. Smoking crack and shooting heroin as a teenager really uh, got me done early. Right. And then I turned towards, towards meditation.
0: And your, and your dad was like, what the fuck are you doing? Come sit down with me.
2: Yeah, something like that. I was actually in juvie for the 10th time, and uh, he didn't actually come sit down. He said, over the telephone from the padded cell that I was in after a suicide attempt, he said, maybe you want to try some mindfulness meditation. I got something that's going to really help you. And I said, uh, you know, how about a fucking lawyer or something that will
0: really help
2: me? <laughs> and uh, you know, not your hippie Buddhist meditation bullshit. But that was all he had for me. That was all he had to offer. And you know, little, little kind of tough love. You know, I've bailed you out enough times. Time, you know, time for you to save your own ass and go back to your cell and meditate. And uh, I was desperate enough to do it. And I went back and. Started paying attention to my breast. And for the first time in my life, I came to the realization that I didn't have to pay attention to my brain, which was trying to fucking kill me.
0: So, how did that really come to you? Was it total desperation?
2: Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was, you know, it was that typical addict at the bottom. You know, for, up to that point, I had blamed everyone else. I, I was a victim and. You know, uh, and it was everyone else's fault. But there was a, something that happened incarcerated that time where I took responsibility, and I was like, you know, nobody's making me commit felonies and you know, drink and do drugs. I'm choosing this reaction to my pain, mm. and uh, that 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 taking responsibility gave me the hope and the willingness to say, shit. If I got myself into all of this. Maybe I can
0: get myself out. Huh. Well, that says a lot about you, I think. Because, I mean, it took me until 42, and I've barely sat down and listened to my breath. <laughs>
1: yeah. So well, what I find is interesting, though, is that like the first time you gave it a genuine go in that cell or wherever it was, that you had an experience. I mean, when I tried meditating, it was basically like I saw somebody I really respected who told me there was value in it, and I had to do it like... A couple hours a day, I did an hour in the morning and an hour at night, every day for like months before I had any sort of experience. It was just me all like in my head, pure ego, like what am I going to get? What's next? And then after several months that like slowly started to dissipate, but like it sounds like from what you said that you just had like a moment right off the rip.
2: Well, I, I did I mean just on some level where I just saw that being present with my breath and body was so much better than what my mind was doing. You know, I'm sitting in juvie and I'm looking at felony charges and I'm, you know, my mind in the future, the plans, the fears, the fantasies were terrible. And then the past was also terrible, all the shit I'd done to get myself in that situation. So bringing my attention to the present moment, breath, body sensations, uh, I couldn't do it very well. It's not like I had some pleasant experience, but I just knew it was preferable when I could turn my attention to my breath. It gave me a moment of relief from the suffering that my head was creating. Right, I could I could ignore it just for a breath or two, and then I'd get back into the story, and then I'd come back. But it was a it was a real refuge to come back into the present moment.
0: And that's the origin of this refuge recovery.
2: Yeah, on some level, I mean, refuge is a traditional Buddhist concept of you know through our own efforts creating a reliable. Uh, internal wisdom and compassion
1: uh, refuge. All right. And please excuse us if we ask you totally juvenile questions that are, sound retarded just because. We probably will. I'm, <laughs> I'm game. All right, cool. Uh, which is good. It's good for the listeners, too, because they're probably on our par.
0: Yeah, our listeners, like, I love the Dopey Nation, but come on now.
1: <laughs> they're not called the Dopey Nation because they're
0: geniuses. Right. <laughs>
1: Um, so I just want to... I mean, you probably don't remember because when you're at Kripala or when you're anywhere, you're kind of mobbed by tons of minions and stuff. But Devotees, uh, devo- they call them. Devotees. Um, <laughs> but uh, I want to say two things. So I worked in the kitchen, uh, and for our listeners, Kripala is the yoga retreat center. It's kind of fancy. It's in the Berkshires in Massachusetts. And uh, people, they get like excellent teachers and stuff, and, and Noah's done workshops there. And um, I had... Read Heart of the Revolution, your third book, in a meditation group, which I should actually talk about later too. You'll find a funny little story from that. Uh, what happened with that group? But um, Noah was in the uh, the dining room, and uh, it's actually funny when when you have a workshop or when the yoga recovery conference is on. I can actually just tell like the energy of the people that are in there eating. It totally changes, and I'll, I won't even know what workshops are going on, and I'll come in. And I'll just be like, there's a lot of like addicts, something shifted in here. And then I'll learn like, oh, the recovery conference is going on or something like that, you know, just from the ambiance in the the dining room. Um, Yeah. But, anyways, you were sitting eating, and you were happening to be. Hold bi- on,
0: hold on, hold on. Can you explain to me in the Dopey Nation the nature of Kripalu just for a second, so they can understand what the I mean? It's. About?
1: I don't want to say anything inflammatory. I think it's this beautiful, magical place. Um, if you go and visit there, when you work there, it kind of changes a little bit. Um, there's, you know, they get amazing teachers. Um, there's great people that come to the programs. There is sort of an element of like, kind of like. Uh, an Upper East Side housewife that's like coming to like kind of play Clans. spiritual and then go boss the bit like the maid around, you know, <laughs> afterwards, right? But that's not everybody there, you know, and like I think that you start to see that, you know, when you work there more. Um, so it's basically for meditation or it's for all sorts of wellness, nutrition, all sorts of wellness stuff, okay. Okay. you know. Um, but uh, anyway, so no, you were sitting in the dining room. And you're eating and you're by yourself. You have any by yourself. So I went up to you and I want you to clarify if there's any veracity behind this. And I went up to you and I asked you, I was like, is it true you rip butts while you meditate? (laughs) And you were like, who said that? But I don't actually remember if you confirmed or denied that. Where did you hear that, Chris? (sighs) I don't know. Hold on. Noah? Yes? Is it true you rip butts while you meditate?
2: Did I rip what?
1: Cigarettes. You smoke cigarettes while you meditate.
2: Oh. Um, so probably the origin of that is that uh, I mean, I've, I've smoked off and on for, for many years. And then sometimes there's a kind of story slash joke that I say about, uh, you know, a guy who goes to his meditation teacher and he says, is it okay if I smoke while I'm meditating? And the teacher says, absolutely not. If you're meditating, just meditate. And then, uh, you know, he goes outside and he sees somebody else smoking. He says, hey, the teacher just told me not to, not to smoke. And he says, really? Because I asked the teacher if it was okay if I meditated while I was smoking. <laughs> and the teacher said, absolutely. If you're going to smoke,
0: you should totally meditate while you're doing it. <laughs> there you go. So that's no, probably where it came on, from. No, I don't no, know if no. that's the roots of that or
2: not, but uh, that, for myself, I'm, I'm currently not smoking, but when I, when I do, smoke, um, do smoke, I don't Marlboro's? smoke while I'm meditating, but if I'm smoking, I definitely try to bring mindfulness and you know, meditative awareness to the, to the experience of smoking.
1: Uh-huh. Is there any way to bring mindfulness to the um, process of shooting dope?
2: Um, yeah, sure, you could. I mean, the, the <laughs> ritual—you could, you could do the ritual once you have um, become, uh, you know, high. Once you've injected, once you've shot the dope, uh, that you know, that kind of high completely blocks any possibility of mindfulness. Right. Uh, but yeah, sure, somebody could be mindful of the ritual that led up to the getting high of any kind.
1: I'm going to edit this and just have a sound bite. When I asked you, you know, can you be mindful when you shoot dope? And you said, sure. I'm just going to edit that piece out, all right? Sure. <laughs> 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 until, until you're high. Sure. <laughs> what did you say? I don't know. What did you say, Noah?
2: I said, you know, until you're high, sure you
1: can. Yeah. <laughs> and um
2: once you're high, mindfulness is off the table.
1: Alright. Uh, seriously, I, I totally agree. Well I mess you know, it's something that's like I've been really troubled with and it's You know, I've gotten over it, you know what I mean? And, like, kind of the way someone described it to me was that, like, you know, taking hallucinogenics is, like, spiritual pornography. But I struggled a lot, you know, like, with the idea of in sobriety, can I successfully take LSD, ayahuasca, and different stuff? And I am like, you know, Bill Wilson took it at one point, you know, like, the guy who founded AA. And, you know, he even was going to encourage certain type, like, personalities to try LSD who were having trouble with, like you know, maybe spiritual concepts and whatnot. But um, it kind of fucked with me a lot for a long time. And it's like, still, I I almost just choose not to think about it because if I think about it too much, it gives me license to be like, I think I can successfully use hallucinogenic. So I I just thought I'd bring that up to see if you have, like, a comment or any ideas about that for the uh, afflicted people here, you know?
2: No, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people that have that question or – or desire, or interest, and I I think that there's more and more people that, um, you know, are sober people that are using ayahuasca, or something like that, um, as a part of a sacred spiritual ritual. My own, you know, my own tendency, my own feeling is that, actually, we need to get to those spiritual experiences through our own efforts, and through our meditative discipline, and um, that uh, kind of the shortcut of a chemical or plant-based induced uh, vision is not going to be as, as integratable and as really practical or transformative as somebody who does it by you know, sitting their ass, their ass on a meditation retreat and actually turning towards their mind with a, sober, you know, with a totally unaltered uh, mind.
1: Totally, that's what the guy was saying when he called it spiritual pornography. He's like, it's not a substitute for like a relationship that you'd have with a woman. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a quick fix.
0: But not to mention, and it's
1: fleeting. The second that you're ingesting something, you're an addict. Yeah.
0: If you're an addict trying to find sobriety, uh, the second you're ingesting something, you're kind of beating the system. You're, it's like not going to take you to the place that you're, you know, it's the normal
1: thing. I'm going to add something to myself to change. Yes, yeah, as a whole behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, totally. No, can I ask you a question? So, what you know, I you heard you talking about your dad and stuff. What is the relation, your relationship, like with your kids? And are you going to like expose them to meditation, or have you done that already? Right. If you don't mind me asking, if that's on the table, I'm sorry. I mean, no, no, I don't mind. I don't mind you
2: asking. Um, You know, like my childhood, where my parents didn't like shove Buddhism down my throat, but I knew it was what they did because you know they that's what they did. Uh, so I, I knew about it, but it was more, you know, through the culture that I was around and, and, you know, there was no like Buddhist Sunday school. So I'm taking, you know, somewhat of the same approach with my children, which like something, you know, they come to Kripalu with me. They come when I'm teaching retreat. Um, you know, they, they know, you know, that that's what I do. And, uh, you know, I have meditation centers in Los Angeles. They're down here, like, you know, throwing the meditation cushions around and, you know so they, they know they know they know that it's what what i do but mm. i'm also not um you know i'm not interested in push pushing uh you know my views or my spiritual practice on my children but but um
0: how many kids do you exposing have exposing
2: them to it and then letting them find their own way you know when, when they're ready for to kind of ask those questions themselves
1: it's funny that you mentioned that cuz like my own my father he goes to church 7 days a week it's how he stays sober he's catholic and he's very outspoken where he's like I believe in 60% of what the catholic church says you know and I think the rest is crazy but that's how he got sober and he he actually did it secretly But, um, he forced everything on me as a kid. I remember my brother and my sister, he wanted us to do all these things to be like studious and whatnot. And I had this like huge reaction to everything. And the only thing he didn't really push on us was his faith. And I found like through osmosis, I always was kind of open to that, which is like kind of similar to what you're talking about with your own children.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my daughter, uh, recently said something about, you know, they were talking about God at school or something. And she said, you know, uh, she came home, she said, Dad, but we don't, we don't believe in God, right? Like, we're Buddhists. We don't believe in God. And I said, uh, well, you know, Hazel, I'm a Buddhist, and I actually don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. But, uh, you know, you're going to have to figure out what makes sense to you. You know, some people believe in this, and some people believe in that. And, you know, you'll, you'll have to, you know, study that for yourself and make your own decision about what you believe.
0: How old are your kids? Uh, four and eight. I have a, a six-year-old, and um, I do guided meditation to get her to sleep. That's my thing. Yeah, yeah I
2: do. I <laughs> do that once in a while, too, with my kids. I didn't know that. It's yeah. very, very successful. successful do a little, little mindful.
0: Yeah, it works. Um, because you can really still the mind with, with a good, peaceful story. <laughs> but this is Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious... That's do you, you have, yeah. do you, first of all, have you ever heard the podcast? You can be honest. I haven't. Not, not, <laughs> you dick. How dare you come on our podcast having never heard it.
2: Okay, but hey, in my, in my defense and in your support, I don't think I've ever listened to any podcast ever in my life.
0: Totally understandable. I, I,
2: I don't know if that's a true, 100% true statement, yeah. but uh, I can't actually bring to mind ever listening to
1: a podcast. I hear you. So the first one you're ever going to listen to is going to be Dopey.
2: It might be, it might be. (laughs) He's not (laughs) going to listen (laughs) to
0: this.
1: (laughs) You're not (laughs) going to listen.
0: But so the deal with Dopey, the idea was like we were going to have a podcast where we tell horrible yet funny uh, drug stories. And um, it was going well until my daughter's mother listened to it and she was (laughs) like, this is not good. <laughs> She's like, you need to find some like positive end of this thing. <laughs> so then I realized we have to put recovery into the show a little bit more. And we also had to delete right, right. half
1: of the episodes that uh, Dave told stories on.
0: Yeah. Cause I would like right. tell a story about my daughter watching Kung Fu Panda. And then later in the story, I'd be shooting dope someplace. She, well, so. are you, we're going to
1: have to delete this episode if you keep going like that. <laughs> well, I'm setting it up so Noah could tell a funny drug story. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, yeah, so do you have, you got any stories? No, it doesn't have to do something quick, anything?
2: You know, I got a lot of stories and, you know, as we all do, thinking about coming on the podcast, I was, you know, I was thinking about before I ever got loaded when I was five years old, I was suicidal. I had a knife under the porch and I would think about killing myself. And at about seven years old, I started getting high. And one of the first times I smoked weed at seven years old, I was with some older kids, and they had me, they're like, hey, get on that bike right there. And so I'm, like, stoned, uh, and I'm riding down the street on this bike, and then I realized that we're, like, just stolen this bike. I'm, like, a <laughs> seven-year-old. i am right. like, stealing a bicycle. Um, you know, when I was 11 years old, I took acid. and Well, actually, when I was 10, I started taking mushrooms. My mom had a, like, grocery bag full of mushrooms, and I started eating them. And just tripping, you know, 10-year-old balls running through the woods just like, you know, hallucinating stormtroopers or whatever. (laughs)
1: At the time. I don't, there's not a lot of pre-pubescent psychedelic experiences, you know? That's, I know. That's I, I, <laughs> why yeah. I got sober when I was 17. you know. You, I started
2: early and just
1: got it done. You didn't start early. You, you started, you've <laughs> yeah, never
2: like heard I, of it. He's
0: like, I held off I know, as long I as I could.
2: I look at my eight-year-old daughter and I'm like, you don't smoke weed,
0: do you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so hold on, but this is interesting to me. What do you think, Noah? Because I have a very good friend whose parents were like, Students of uh, the Maharishi, and they were crazy, like stoner acid takers. Like the the great story of my friend's parents were like they were tripping acid, and they were listening to The Stones paint it black. So they decided to paint everything in their house black, (laughs) including including the fruit in the fridge. (laughs) They painted black. What do you think? What do you think the connection with Jews who um, are into meditation wind up all being on drugs?
2: No, I, have no, I have no idea, but I don't think it has that much to do with being a Jew. <laughs> I,
0: I think it does. I think there's something there.
2: I think it was just that 60s, 70s uh, you know, generation where consciousness and rebellion against the you know, uptight you know, traditional values.
0: Like was, the 50s, like, We're yeah. We're going
2: to take drugs and meditate and reject our Judeo-Christian roots.
0: Right. Your parents did drugs, then?
2: Oh, yeah, lots of drugs. Lots of drugs when I was around, well, around when I was growing up, so that, that was one of the reasons why I had access and started so young.
1: It was You once, were stealing, like, it's like stealing the liquor.
2: It also feels like, you know, it probably saved my life, you know, even though, because I was, you know, I was pretty actively suicidal, so it was, you know, taking mushrooms when I was 10. Uh, you know, was actually maybe a life-saving experience rather than dangerous for me.
0: Do you remember what the suicidal thoughts so young were about?
2: Yeah, it was just a a general like this sucks and I want out.
0: Wow. And, you know, there was
2: abuse and neglect and, you know, I was just in in a painful place in my family and just the angst and insecurity of childhood and you know, just, just feeling ignored and, and, and I just like wanted out. But I also, um, you know, again, Buddhist Hindu, like, I was taught about reincarnation. Like my dad was working with dying patients. So I thought, Hey, I can just kill myself and start over.
0: Right. right? Like this
2: is, this is, this is like, uh, you know, it's a temporary fix, but at least, you know, like I can get out of this situation.
0: And in a child's mind, it's very much like a game. Like I have a new, a free yeah. life or something. You know, yeah, and
2: it's you know it's the cartoons where the character dies but they're always there in the next episode.
0: Right, right. Tom and Jerry And Coyote going off the cliff and hey, then yeah, you know, but he's there again.
1: No, what does your meditation practice look like today? I mean, do you still sit every day or?
2: I don't. I don't sit daily like I used to. I still have a regular practice. You know, I'm sitting a few times every week. I'm you know I'm teaching. I'm doing retreats every year. So I'm like in the Buddhist meditative environment, but, you know, honestly, after 30 years of practice, it doesn't feel urgent for me to get my ass on the cushion every day. But when I do get my ass on the cushion, which is regularly, mm-hmm. I always enjoy it. You know, it's, it's a kind of a positive habit in my life.
1: Um, you got any tips for the uh, the Vipassana retreat I'm going on in a couple weeks? I, you know, I mentioned Tell the nation what that is. They know. I didn't, didn't I mention no, that before? Oh, no. so yeah, Dopey Nation, I'm going on a ten day Vipassana meditation retreat uh, in Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts uh, next month, and I just want to clarify that with like I have no practice. You guys hear me vape constantly. I eat sugar after every meal. I fall asleep with the television on, and I use my phone all day. But so I'm not, not some meditation guy, but I'm super nervous. I want to ask Noah if he has any tips. Like, people have been telling me I should start sitting. I haven't done anything. and you know, I'm just terrified. I heard people leave. I heard a lot of people walk out. Noah, before
0: you give a tip, I just want you to – I want to be a little bit more – Uh, descriptive of of Chris's anti-practice. He's trying to like get it all in before he goes away. Today, he he decided to walk downtown to watch The Secret Life of Pets. Well, I, I dropped you off at work this morning. Then, then at The Secret Life of Pets, he realized that it was a kid's movie and he'd rather take a nap at my house than at the movie theater. But first, he went to the deli that has the worst food ever, stuffed his face, fell asleep, woke up, He's like, dude, I need chocolate. I'm retarded, and I'm. It's like this. Wouldn't you say to go to some serious, no talking, no eating, no television, no masturbation, no nothing? He should get a few days to get ready for this kind of thing.
2: Well, I don't know. You know, to me, he sounds like somebody who likes intense experiences.
0: Yes. You yeah. know,
2: like, you know, the chocolate or whatever it is. Um, as addicts, often we like really intense experiences. Often we're, you know, chasing pleasant <laughs> intense experiences. But, uh, you know, my experience of going on retreats is, you know, when I committed to spiritual practice, I sort of thought that the kind of 12-step, like, turn it over and pray and I felt like like this is spiritual light. This is like the wine cooler of spirituality. Mm. I'm a fucking junkie. I want some <laughs> heroin. I want to nod the fuck out. Yeah. You know, like I don't, I don't want this kind of like spiritual buzz. I want to, you know, I want nirvana. Right. And so, you know, going on a silent retreat like that, it's intense and you will suffer intensely, but also you will see your mind so clearly and, you know, be in so much discomfort and craving and, you know, it, this is truly the dope of spiritual practice. So I'm—I don't have a lot of uh, advice other than just kind of like buckle up and don't fucking leave.
1: No, just and go I, for I it have, and
2: hang in there no matter how you know crazy it gets inside your heart and mind.
1: Totally, you hit the nail on the head too. I want the intense experience, and then I also have um, the luxury of having a friend who recently, or a couple years ago, did the same retreat and completed it, and there's no way I'm fucking leaving if he didn't leave. That's right.
2: (laughs) Let the ego get in there and make
1: you stay. Yeah, makes sense. Well, no, I want to wrap it up because we told you 30 minutes and it's been 30 minutes. So I want to just say thank you for coming on the show. Wait, before before
0: we wrap it All up, right. I have so many questions, but I'm not going to do it because if, I'm sure you don't want to talk about I told to him we do
1: 30 minutes and I didn't want but to talk But is there
0: anything, Noah, that you want to tell our small listener thing that
1: we didn't Oh, yeah, oh, get yeah, yeah. To. Refuge. Yeah, we got to talk about Refuge. We talked a refugees, bit about it. Um, no, well, he has refugees. Oh, like, a, 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 some, let him go.
2: I, I, I want to tell one more war story, and then I want to say something about refugees separately.
1: Okay, First awesome. First of all,
2: um, you know, one of one of my kind of craziest favorite, you know, getting loaded stories was was this time where um, you know we we'd been drunk and and doing some coke, and then we had we met these girls, and we went and we robbed their house, and we had like Rolex and you know their <laughs> parents' stuff. <laughs> And then we're in this car that had no brakes in the Santa Cruz Mountains and it started to rain and we had to use the e brake to kind of slide around these corners. <laughs> and at one point my two friends are in the front, I'm in the back seat, stolen goods, twelve pack of beer, and we're going to like the dope spot to trade the Rolex for some real drugs. Right. But we're drinking and driving and e brake sliding in the rain around this like mountain road. And then we, we you know overcorrect, go up the side of the mountain, end up upside down in this car on on the hood, all Ooh. three of us in there. And then the motor explodes in the flames, like
0: from a movie. Just like <laughs> flames <laughs> coming out of the car is on fire.
2: These two guys get out of the front door, and I'm stuck in the back. And the back door is like smash; it won't open. And I have to like kick the windblown and get out of the car. And then I realize, shit! I left the beer and the and the Rolex in the car. So I get back into the burning car, the wreckage, and my drugs, and my loot. And then we, you know, run down the street and you know hitch a ride and leave the car there in the middle of the mountains on
0: fire. Did you get everything out of the so, <laughs> car?
2: What's that? Yeah, we, we got everything out of the car,
1: <laughs> dude. That, that is that wild. Was, that
2: was the most important, most important.
1: That takes the cake. That's a, that's a truly dopey story. Yeah, yeah. That's
2: a good, I figured that was a good dopey story for you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And now uh, about Refuge. So, um,
2: you know, I got, I got sober in 88, and I started meditating, and I, you know, did the 12 steps, um, the best of my ability, but I'm, you know, I'm like an anti-authority, non-theistic, uh, you know, person that just, I just, the whole higher power and powerlessness and all of those uh, principles of the 12 steps never really made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I had that realization of like, I got myself into this problem. You know, I'm not powerless. I I created all of this suffering for myself you know, by choosing to drink over and over and over and, and use um, that. So Buddhism always made a lot more sense to me, which was saying you know, through your own efforts you can train your mind and you can develop compassion and you can learn to forgive yourself and you can renounce uh, satisfying the cravings that your mind and body produce. So for a long time, I did 12 Steps and Buddhism. And then um, about 10 years ago, I said, fuck it, I'm going to create a Buddhist recovery program um, because the the, the philosophy of, of Buddhism just makes a lot more sense to me and, you know, thousands of other people, millions of other people than the, you know, Judeo-Christian open-minded theism of the 12 Steps. So Refuge Recovery now, you know, it's been around for a couple of years. Um, there's about 200 Refuge Recovery meetings around the country and, you know, people all, all over the place are starting meetings where you go to a meeting and you meditate and, you know, maybe you tell some, some dopey war stories, but mostly you focus on the solution and, and through your own efforts, training your mind and supporting each other and making amends and doing all of those, you know, good principles to, to recover. And in Los Angeles, I opened a treatment center where we have a detox and treatment center using these Buddhist principles to treat addiction. So I do want your listeners to know about Refuge Recovery.
0: What's the um, treatment center?
2: The the treatment center is, you know, it's called Refuge Recovery as well. They just have a brick and and mortar. They have an actual place. Refuge Recovery Treatment Centers.
0: Can I ask a stupid question? Yep. Did you call it Refuge Recovery so people could be like, are you going to RR today? RR. <laughs> Do so, they say RR? I almost, I almost didn't say because of RR because
1: there used to be that program called Rational Recovery. Oh, yeah. Where that was like a moderation thing, and then
2: the lady that created it got drunk and killed some
1: people. And she went to prison. So. Yeah. She went to prison. Yeah, she went to prison. <laughs> so RR, but yeah, now Does it anybody is, call it AA, RR? There is RR,
2: and actually Refuge Recovery, uh, RRs, uh, you know, the book got published on June 10th, which happened to be the uh, anniversary of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So there is some connections there.
1: Oh, that's wild! I'm sure there's a
0: ton of connections. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, I, I definitely will check it out. This is awesome. I'm so glad you decided to come on our show, which I'm also shocked you did. You're awesome.
2: <laughs> Thanks, guys. Happy to do it, and uh, you know I'll do it again sometime.
0: Awesome.
1: Okay. All, right. All right. Thank you, Noah. Thanks, Noah. Be well. Take it easy. All right, bye. bye. Well, look at that. I didn't say toodles. I should have said toodles. You
0: say toodles at the end of the show. I was I gonna to s- say toodles to Noah. You, thank God, <laughs> we actually handled. That was great. We dude. actually handled ourselves with some level of dignity and grace. I know.
1: You can tell he's much further along than we will ever be. Wow! Don't
0: be <laughs> so sure. Don't be so sure. Yeah. Anyway,
1: now what do we do? I don't know, I guess we, bull- we had a bullshit for 20 minutes No, we could just say that's the end of the episode No, let's, let's carry it through I mean, we've been doing uh a... Well, I don't know, what do you think? Well, I defer to your judgment Well, let's, not... let's discuss it for a little bit and then we can... Um... Are you, do you think we should go find an RR meeting? Do you think they cost money? No, I don't think so I mean, there's the Dharma Punks um, well, See, that's what I'm confused I don't know if the Dharma... The, the meetings that are the Dharma Punks meetings in New York City If those, those aren't refuge recovery meetings We should have made a list of questions I know. Because I really am curious, what's the difference think, well, between Dharma I Punks and would, Refuge you Recovery? you and me should just check one out at some point. Which, Dharma Punks or Refuge Recovery? Both. Are we going to? I will. I definitely will. Yeah? Yeah. When? Um, I'm going back tonight, but... Well, we don't have to discuss the details Why on the air. Why not? You know what I mean? But, like, let's do... Um, we could do... I mean, I'll be back here Sunday, and then... Uh, I don't know. I would like you now. Now that Noah's off the phone. First of all, well, let's just reiterate for the dopey nation that before, literally two minutes before we're doing this call, Dave and I are scrambling at YouTube videos, finding people who pronounce his name, so we say it correctly, and we finally find one, you know, like a minute before we call him, or before we start recording, that says his name, and I introduce him, and he tells me his name's wrong. But he was <laughs> fucking with you. Was he fucking with me? Yes. Yes. He said Levine or Levine. No, he, was he though? Chris. Stop! Come on, you're the you're the Jewish one.
0: Are yes, you sure he was? I'm positive because then he was laughing at me and you, and he said, "No, it's Levine." Because oh, yeah. I I said we were quoting the teacher that we saw it say Levine, and he was like, "No, I'm fucking with you. It's Levine." Oh, okay. But which, that's funny. Yeah. Um. But I first of all, who says "rip butts"? Who says that? I don't know. I was gonna Did say you never heard that. Never.
1: You've never heard that? Neither
0: right? did he. He had no idea what you were talking He said, what?
1: He's a, from Boston, didn't he say? He's from, you know what I mean? So
0: you're saying people in Boston say rip butts.
1: Like, I've heard, you've never Is heard like, that? But you couldn't deduce what that means?
0: I could, but Noah couldn't. And I, and I also was sad that I could, because it's so dumb. <laughs> um, uh, did they say, I'm going to rip some wicked butts and have a wicked duck beer? No, they don't say that. They don't?
1: <laughs> they never say that. I had
0: a woman at work today who was wearing a shirt that said, I'm a wicked socks fan. That was really? her shirt. It said, wicked socks fan. Did you ask her? if She's from Boston? I didn't have to ask her. <laughs> I knew. What did she get? She got... And what did she tip? She got a salad... And a half a corned beef sandwich. I think I've revealed too much. Oh.
1: Um,
0: And uh, (laughs) she drank... uh, What did she drink? She drank... um, I think she drank water. I'm not going to reveal what she drank or everything will be out in the open. Maybe we should just end this episode I mean, we're talking about sandwiches Why? So what? Because we're following up They tipped, uh, I believe, ten What do you mean? What are we supposed to be talking about now?
1: I don't know What I want to talk about That was pretty funny when you were ragging on me about my lifestyle Well, I want to
0: talk about your day I want. I want to talk about it. You already it more. did. You, you already cut me deep. What I didn't say in front of Noah was what you said to me before we started the episode, which is what I need to poop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel in my belly, and I need to. I need to poop. <laughs> I was like, Chris, you need to get a job. So is like what you need a big to do. Baby, he's a baby. He's an overgrown baby. I think some hard work would really straighten him out. Frankly, I'm going to have a shitload of hard work coming up. It's no, gonna you're going to be, be a, a student. Be, gonna,
1: no, but it's a, it's you work primarily.
0: I loved what he said about ayahuasca and that stuff. Yeah, like I mean, like imagine he was like, "Yeah, ayahuasca yeah, really works for recovery." Yeah, you know, but how
1: about that? Starting that early because you know, I always like I look at people who are thirteen and like that's when I got like I already started doing the heavy drugs at thirteen. What did you do? I at 13? drank at twelve and then I didn't drink again for like a year, and then at thirteen I started uh, smoking weed. Um, drinking shit loads of cough syrup I was like really bad with cough syrup um, sm- uh, drinking a lot and then I would I think I did crack when I was like 15 in New York for the first time and sniffing heroin at 15 but I look at kids who are 13 oh no I did meth when I was 13 before I moved back to Boston I lived in Arizona I was like sniffing meth and um but I look at kids who are 13 and they just look like babies and imagine Noah looking at kids who are 6 he you know was I mean? 7 it's fucking wild
0: I can't I don't understand it. I I didn't start doing drugs until I was like an adult. Yeah,
1: you were a late bloomer.
0: Very much so. Yeah. I smoked pot the first time when I was 17, did acid when I was 17. Yeah. And then I didn't do coke until I was like 20. Well, we
1: clarified that the other day. Didn't you take acid before you smoked weed? Yeah, but I was 17 for
0: both. I wonder, that's like the rarest thing ever. I think smoking weed at seven is a little bit rare. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little rare. Uh, I have an idea. Why not? I'm glad he told some stories. He was great. Yeah. He was great because he also really, uh, as opposed I to... I didn't even vape while he was talking. Because that's you, impressive. You didn't want to do it. Yeah. At first, impressive. your hand was shaking. <laughs> you were nervous. <laughs> but it went well. Yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought it really did go well. And I thought the best thing was like, and not to uh, disparage Joe or Danny Boy, but Noah really... Or got Modi.
1: Forgot about Modi. You don't even mention Modi anymore. I don't want to talk about Modi.
0: (laughs) Um, But uh, Noah really got the dopey thing in. He
1: told good stories that were delivering the goods. You know what's funny is because Joe, you know, he's listened to the episodes, and I love Joe. You know, he's one of my favorite people. And the other people, you know, I described in at length what we do. I didn't even really tell Noah what we do. You know, I told him like real quickly. I said we war story, have a little perspective and stuff, and you know, he got it in a second. He got it. Are you, you kidding? Um, you were. I want you to read. You know what the funniest thing though was that Dave had uh, the Wikipedia page for Noah open in the background <laughs> just in case. Yeah, it didn't get. It didn't come <laughs> to that.
0: I want because at first you started like trying to introduce. Chris had his eyes closed. He was trying to remember everything Noah had done. Nothing <laughs> well, that I Noah re- could just say <laughs> what he had done.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't even tell. I didn't tell him the story about the heart of the revolution thing. You know about this? I don't remember. You don't know the story, but you know the persons involved. And I don't know if I should share it on air. What do you mean? Because it's some stuff. It's some pretty inflammatory stuff. And I'm friends with one of the people. Do so I, I have to know? Don't I? You don't have to, but it would probably be better if you did. Um, so, anyways, one of Noah's books is this thing, um, is uh, "Heart of the Revolution," which is like meta meditation. Which i I read it with a group of people, and it's kind of this like loving kindness. Um, What's thing. meta meditation? It's like a loving kindness thing, and like I'm honestly going to butcher it. It was years ago when I did it, but it was sort of like you kind of um, what I remember from our sessions was we'd read like a chapter in his book, and then we'd sit and we'd do a meta meditation it was like kind of like you like love yourself i forget if it's like you start you know like pretty insular and then you gradually go outwards or if the process was reversed where you come in and please nobody like if you're interested look it up yourself and figure it out yourself because i don't know anything i am not an authority on this at all um but anyways we so we did this um we read noah's book heart of the heart of the revolution and it was with this like kind of like spiritual teacher, um, who had invited, uh, a group of people, um, to come do the meditation at his group. And, and you know who the teacher is. Um, it was a guy from, from mountainside. I'm not going to say his name mm-hmm. and I'm still friends with him. Um, but during the group, what ended up happening and, and this was actually, I had moved to New York city at the time. Um, and so I didn't, you know, catch the, uh, we finished Noah's book, but I didn't continue with the group is he ended up, um, uh, the guy ended up like hooking up with one of the students, and then they uh, he got his wife divorced him, and he kind of got like sort of ostracized from our community. Um, which I should have told Noah about that, you know, the whole thing that happened, you know, in the group. Which is funny though, because do you think Noah knows him? I know Noah knows him. I didn't want to. I wouldn't say on air who he is and stuff. Okay, um, but uh, it's funny because like it, a lot of people discredited him afterwards because of what he did and yeah it's fucked up but that didn't change the fact that he was the person that got me interested in meditation and you know what i mean he was extremely useful in my life and that he touched thousands of people's like lives you know hundreds if not thousands um, throughout his tenure well, at the this, place that we went to. Sto- so does that discredit does this like act of infidelity and like yeah, it's he abused his power and stuff, but does that discredit all the work he's done? I don't think so, but yeah, I mean, but people <clears throat> tend to think that. And I, I'm like I still think he'd be great working like at a men's place, working with men, you know what I mean? And he kind of like got screwed <clears throat> where like nobody will touch him anymore.
0: That can change. I mean, yeah. I, I mean I'd say a very high percentage of all the people who are in these positions have had great falls. And they kind of rebuild themselves in order to help people. Well, as long as they learn from the fall
1: and they don't repeat the behavior.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's a great story of the the one of the origins of transcendental meditation, which is the Maharishi Mahesh Yoga yogi. You know him?
1: Yeah. No, I don't know.
0: He was the Beatles guru. I mean, I've heard of him. Yeah. And um, I think he kind of claimed sainthood, though, as opposed to this guy we're talking about. He was this little Indian guy who would run these retreats for very rich people and rock like stars. He personally claimed it, like yeah, while he, he was alive. He, I think, I don't remember. I'm not exactly sure. Well,
1: wouldn't it be like guruhood? Do they have? Yeah, that? no, yeah. I mean,
0: that's what I'm saying, <laughs> Guruhood. hood, yeah. which is like basically that. And on the retreat, it was the, it's an old school story where the Beatles and a bunch of the Beach Boys and Donovan and all these '60s people went to uh study transcendental meditation and the maharishi wound up um coming on to uh what's the you don't know who it is uh mia farrow's sister Mm. and and then the Beatles found out and they're like we're out of here man (laughs) and like a lot of people were like done with the maharishi because of this thing yeah um and, uh, and, and John Lennon wrote a bunch of songs about the Maharishi being a fraud. But still, obviously, the Maharishi had legions of supporters. Wait, why but was, was it so th- bad
1: he went on that show? Who? What was it so, why was it so bad that he did that, the Maharishi? Like, why was that... Because he was, like, claiming uh, no sex...
0: Uh, that he was a spiritual guy. Wait, but
1: what did he do? Sorry. He
0: came on to Mia Farrow's
1: sister on the retreat. Oh, he came on? I thought you said he came on to her show or something. No, he came on to uh, her. Yeah. And like... Well, that's the history of Kripalu, the place I was talking about with Noah, is that like, you know, before it became what it was today, it was like this kind of, this like little sort of retreat center, nothing, you know, it wasn't like, it was just like a, a few people went there, you know, and this guy was like, I don't know if it was Swami Kripalu or if it was the guy before him, but he was kind of like preaching chastity and abstinence and then he was like banging all the students
0: yeah I mean how hard must it be you know it's like to walk a righteous path when it's all in your face when all of a sudden you get the opportunity
1: to like I bet Noah had a shitload of groupies oh totally you know well then like the Bikram guy the guy who started Bikram yoga you haven't heard about that no you know, you've heard of Bikram yoga, the yeah, hot yoga, I right? I did it. Well, he... Yeah, I've done it a bunch. And you did... Oh, yeah, your story's great. I don't know if you can tell that one on here. I feel like I did tell it. I don't know if you did. I think you did. Yeah. But was that a lost tape? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Dave has a really good... I'm not even going to say what happened, but he has a great Bikram story. Email us, and Dave will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, he, um, yeah. So, he... Yeah, so the Bikram dude... I guess you have to get, I'm to butcher this too, but here's the gist of it. You have to get like a certification, you know what I mean? To like be authorized to have, to do Bikram yoga and so and you got to fly out to California and get it. And supposedly the guy was like, kind of like either, I don't know if he was withholding certification, but he like, you know, was basically like asking for sexual favors from the people that were like flying out there, like these women to create studios and it was, like, a big deal, you know? Did he get it Was sexual harassment? He got harassment. in trouble. Yeah, there's so much. Just Google him and, like, half the shit that shows up. But were was. they down to fuck him? I think most of them were, but then some weren't. And then they went public or maybe afterwards they did or something like that. Before we stop and, and, and before we just ramble for another 12 minutes, I want you to read an email. Oh, yeah, yeah. We should read an email. We got a, <laughs> which, a funny one, right? Yeah. Uh, which one? So we have... Uh, I'm going to let you pick. No, uh, read the, the Chinese one. The driveway one. or the Chinese one? The Chinese one. Okay. Um, that's what I was looking for. I just couldn't find it. But I also... I don't think that abuse of power for sexual like reasons is unique to any sort of spiritual practice. It's just like a part of the human condition. You know right. what I mean? But, but that's yeah. the problem. It's like being honest in a situation that you are just a
0: dude... You know, lost in the shuffle kind of thing As opposed to saying you're above it Because the second you claim that you're above it And you're not, you're fucked Do you understand what I'm saying? Totally If you're just like, I'm here, I like sex I have sex when I want to And I'm a spiritual guy Nobody's gonna be down on them for fucking whoever they want It's when they claim chastity And they claim... Uh, a spiritual
1: practice that doesn't involve fucking whoever they want. It doesn't want. align with what they're doing personally. Yeah it's, yeah, it's
0: that contradiction which makes them dogs and unfollowable. Totally.
1: Um, it's not the sex. It's the lie. Yes, it's the lie. Um, Alright, so I'm going to read the email. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, lo- I genuinely laughed when I read this and uh, I texted Dave. I was like, you got to read this email. Um, okay, so it's from this guy named... <laughs> And, it uh, might be a girl. I, I, I'm i pretty sure it's a guy because the top actually says, I think that's his fake name, the top says his real name.
0: Mm-hmm. That still <laughs> seems <laughs> like a good girl to I me. I guess
1: it could still be a girl. I think that's more often a, a man's name. Okay. Um, but anyways, uh, here goes. <gasps> he wanted to be called G. He says it in the
0: email, or she. So you're going to have to bleep that. Doesn't
1: matter, just read it. You're going to have to bleep it, though. All right, so this is from G. Okay. Hi guys, my name is G. I've never written to anyone online before. To creators of content, guests never been inspired enough uh, like this, but I felt like I had to after listening to all your podcasts at work today while I was painting. I will be clean August 4th for six months. For some reason, your podcast made me a switch go. For some reason, sorry, I get his writing is a little over the place. For some reason, your podcast made a switch go off in my head. I do not know why, but it did. Up to this point, I've never thought, what the fuck was I doing? And in all honesty, would pick it up again if it came by. Right now, for the first time, I feel grounded enough where if a bag, not stamps, never had them before like they have in New York City, I'm from southeastern Connecticut and all I've had is corner bags 80% of the time and little zip bags either 20% uh, could be put in front of me and I would turn it down. I had a strange start with getting into an opiate addiction, I guess, from being a suburb white kid. A suburban. Suburban. Yeah, no, I'm trying to, because he puts a lot of stuff in parentheses, which I'm just going to skip over, because he puts, like, really long notes. Let me um, read it. Yeah, you read it, all right? Yeah. We're right here. I've never done.
0: Okay. All right. For being a suburban, more rural than a big city suburb would call it more of a middle-class town white kid. I've never done farms before, oxyhydrocodine, and one week I was bent on getting into. It's hard to explain to someone all the dynamics of why through an email, so I'll corner that topic. It was in October during the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future. I networked until I found someone who could sell me heroin. After that, I found their person's dealer. They were a middleman. Then look through my D-boy's phone to get his dealer's number one night while he was grabbing his stuff from his girlfriend's house. He got kicked out, and I picked him up on Westerly about a 40-minute drive for me. Anyways, I spent thousands of dollars after that, a bulk of my savings account I had worked for my whole life, and holiday gift money, getting halves and grams of rocked-up ECP, which stands for East Coast Powder, from the Latino connection I had stolen from my smaller-time D-boy's phone smaller as in a part-time dealer still not a middle since he would buy five to ten grams and sell when he wasn't at his job this latino dealer was the guy who sold to him the only issue with this was the lowest the only issue with this was the lowest amount i could buy was halves and he would only deliver if i was buying half a finger or more than five grams so i had to drive a lot his dope was the best, despite sometimes having fentanyl in it, as it did in late January of 2016. I'm not sure why I'm telling you all of this, but it feels good to talk about it with someone who gets it. I was 17 when that started, a senior in high school.
1: Here comes the good shit. It, lasted, the funny
0: stuff. it lasted from October 20, 2015 until February 4th, 2016, when I quit. I realize my affliction is short compared to many, for that I'm lucky. lucky... I did heroin every single day during that time period and almost overdosed a few times in January. Uh, I remember the day it happened. This is where it gets good. I had a Chinese exchange student who was staying with me for a week. I feel bad now. (laughs) I brought him with me to Cop Dope, telling him it was an American thing to do, to meet someone quickly in their car in the ghetto. (laughs) I got home and immediately got in the bathroom and got to it. It was gray, rocky, uh, with short uh, but intense duration. I walked outside and started blowing my nose. I snorted it then. was going to IV day. I got caught but was stopped. Um, Quickly, since I knew something was not right. I was getting tunnel vision and falling over when I walked. Thank God I wasn't living. I don't know what that means. Thank God I wasn't living or else it would have been an instant lights out. Man... I feel bad... Oh, thank God I wasn't IVing, or else it would have been an instant lights out. Man, I feel bad for that Chinese exchange student. (laughs) I stole 800 yen from his wallet and exchanged it at a bank to score another half after I finished a quarter left from yesterday's score. I would bring him to the mall and public places, and half the time I would be in the bathroom snorting heroin. I have no clue how he did not catch on to my ways. On his last night, we went to Outback Steakhouse, where I waited 30 minutes in a snall, st- snorting heroin and popping a few Xanaxes, and drove to the gas station to pick up smokes, forgetting about him. <laughs> <laughs> I drove back an hour later and told him I was meeting a friend and blaming it on quote-unquote American traditions. It was wheels to the ground the moment I started. It's over now, but I still think about it from time to time. What's kratom?
1: Uh, it's this uh, stuff. It's legal in the U.S. It's illegal. It's like a opiate light. It's like this leaf or some shit.
0: The kratom helps a lot. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for your help. <laughs> it may seem like you guys are just chatting, uh, but listening really <laughs> helped me move forward another inch. If you'd like to talk about my story on the show, it's fine with me. Uh, But please refer to me as G or another pseudonym. Mm -hmm. Keep up the good work.
1: P.S. I will leave you a good review. LOL. That's funny. You know what I would give anything for was for the moment that Chinese exchange student went back to his family in China to just have a video of him, like when his mother or father's like, how is America? And then he's talking to them in Chinese. <laughs> I don't even want to know what he's saying. I just want to see how he describes it. He's probably basically like, America's really fucked up.
0: <laughs> For some reason, all I can think of is the movie Sixteen Candles. You, have you ever seen Sixteen Camps? Yeah, it's
1: been a while. My sister would watch it because there's like there's like a
0: Korean exchange student, Long Duck Dong, yeah. and he winds up getting really drunk. But I don't. But that's all I can think about Long is Long Duck Dong. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: it's a funny, it was a funny story. It's the visual of the uh, of Outback know. Steakhouse. It, it all, it all, the story really
0: crystallizes for oh, me.
1: Just got an email at Outback Steakhouse. Bill Moyers, William Moyers. Wow, she said he'll come on the show. Whoa, William Moyer's Jr. Well, Jr. Yeah, it's his son, the guy who wrote Broken. He said, "Oh, come on." That's wow, cool. look at that. He Move said, it. When? Let's now? <laughs> now. Uh, anyway. Okay, so, anyways, I mean, and then I emailed with G for a little bit, and so he's on Kratom. He said the Kratom keeps him clean, but Kratom is basically he's replacing an opiate with a different opiate. It's like a really light one. It's legal. It's legal in the U.S. They're probably going to make it illegal. Um, So if I get this kratom, will I get high? Yeah. It's actually illegal in certain countries. It's weird because it's illegal in some countries that are like- Where can we buy it? You can just order it online. I mean, I, I don't know if they've cracked down on it recently, but I know a few years ago people used to like order it in sober livings and take it. And you never tried the kratom? No, it was after my time. Kratom, eh? Yeah. All right, Dopey Nation, if any of
0: you guys have done this Kratom, am I even pronouncing it correctly? I guess. I don't know. Kratom. Kratom. (laughs) Please, please write us about the Kratom and write a review about the Kratom and then mention Dopey in the review about the Kratom. (laughs) Maybe it'll do us some good. Um, I want to say something else that uh, we really enjoy doing the show and uh, I'm really happy that you guys uh, listen to it and like it and we're still kind of flummoxed. On who you might be yeah. and what you might do, but uh, love that you listen, and we love doing the show, and we love to be sober and reflect on our idiocy of the
1: past. Mm. Right, I concur. Would you really say that?
0: Yes, so absolutely. You just concur. Or do you well, want... I was,
1: you know, I mean, I was recently criticized by the fallen dopey fan um, that I uh, seem like I'm. What was the word she used? Disingenuous,
0: and that you're self sabotaging the the nation and the effort. But uh, I, don't, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Fallen, dopey fan, you know who you are. We miss you. We love you. We're sorry. We're so sorry, especially Chris. And I think you misunderstood <laughs> him, because he's just a little bit retarded. He's very easy to be misunderstood. But uh, I, I am very grateful to have you do the show with us, with me. Yeah. I, I think it's awesome. Likewise, my friend. And um, thank you.
1: And toodles? Are you going to say toodles? I don't say toodles. So will you this one time?
0: No, I say stay strong, Dopey Nation. Write an email. Drop a review. And don't rip butts. Follow us on Instagram. Yeah, I dare you to follow <laughs> us on Instagram. You're going to see some amazing stuff. <laughs> That's it. That's it. All right, Later. toodle. Don't say that. Don't say that. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Watches aeroplanes just pass me by. And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad
2: desire's all I ever.